Hello and welcome to the Impact at Home podcast from us here at Impact Wales. We're Finn and Jane and every week we'll bring you the very best professional learning to help you make an impact in your school. Our in conversation with us today is Henry Swordson. I must remember how to say your name, Henry, who's director of Teach East, uh, Initial Teacher Education, and he was also assistant principal for teaching and learning at the City of Peterborough Academy. Welcome, Henry. Hello, morning. Lovely to see you. And you, and we, we know you from old, Henry, don't we? Indeed. Well, yes, I, I, I sort of, I, I pursued you, I suppose, via the internet, um, in, not in a strange way. I think we need to clarify that for all our listeners <laughs> yeah. when you made sense of you. <laughs> no, <laughs> nothing yeah, serious. You followed us on, on Twitter. Yeah. I've got, yes. So um, when I was uh, in, my, in my role as assistant principal, one of my uh, things to look at was literacy. Right. And I was interested in developing. We were we were focused very much around following an evidence base and and informing our ideas through a use of research evidence. And, and literacy was one of my things. And uh, you guys came exceptionally highly recommended. I'd seen your your sketch notes for something that drew me to you initially, yeah. um, and your summaries of material. And yeah, we got in touch, and you you very 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 kindly came all the way over to Peterborough for us and, yeah. and started to work with us there and, and um, some excellent things were done on the back of the input that you guys had and it's it's a pleasure to be able to chat to you again. Indeed and I think it was your interest in, in research that made us think oh yes Henry would yeah. be a good person to have on the podcast. Can I just say as well we haven't done it we haven't paid you to say that. No. And we did actually no. have a really good time. In yeah Peter, we? we did. I mean there was one journey home that was a little bit long do you remember? Very, very flat drive. Because, of course, in yeah. comparison with Wales, Peterborough is extremely flat. It is. And we felt we felt very out of sorts in, in, in the landscape. It was nice. Yes, yeah, so when we got yeah, back onto the hills of the M50, that was uh, much better. But, yes, we've done a little bit of work with you. But you've moved on now to yes. uh, work with uh, trainee teachers. Yep. So tell us a little bit about your role at the moment, what you actually do at the moment. No, I'm, for, for the most part, I still teach English. I'm still carrying a bit of an English teaching timetable, but I'm uh, the director of what's known as a school-centred initial teacher training partnership. Right. Okay. Um, uh, essentially, it's a, uh, a programme that helps bring teachers in. So it takes people who aren't teachers and at the end of a year where they do a mixture of both classroom-based and theoretical learning and development, they're awarded with qualified teacher status. So we as a, an accredited provider are allowed to um, award that based on evidence, observation, development, mm -hmm. um, understanding of their practice. And then they enter the, the wonderful new realms of the early career framework. Uh, so, of course, things are quite different in England than they are in Wales, not just in things like initial teacher education. I mean, the fact that it's called SKIT as opposed to ITE, you know, we've got our different acronyms over here. But I think the the landscape for um, the need for research in schools, but also how that is uh, managed in England as in Wales. I think that's really interesting, the differences, because you have, you have research schools and you also have teaching school hubs. Tell us a little bit about how those, those things work. So research schools are part of the research schools network and essentially that's a, a growing club i suppose of schools around the country where um institutions are using uh, an evidence-informed base to develop high quality teaching and learning and to look at pedagogy and assessment and curriculum through a through the lens of an informed sort of evidence-informed approach um, the nearest research school to us here 
Um, there's one in Norwich, uh, which is about an hour and a half drive away down the down the A47. Again, very flat. Um, and then there's uh, uh, we have Kyra, uh, which is not far from us as well. Yeah. Um, but when I first started sort of thinking about um, through the, the the tutelage of my ex-principal Ben Pierce at Copa, um, Copa City of Peterborough Academy, uh, for yeah. those who like. Um, we actually travelled up to Bradford um, to the uh, the Dixon's Trust schools right. um, to receive some training there. And so, um, yeah, the Research Schools Network sits alongside traditional educational networks. It's just a sort of growing body of interest. They run a lot of professional development. Mm. Um, they provide a lot of materials for uh, those with an evidence-informed approach to use and are a really valuable um, set, of, set of schools. Uh, Huntington... York is another another one and then there's um, there's a few down uh, further south as well. Teaching school hubs um, as a, a sort of a, a part of that as well I suppose a teaching school hub now is there they used to be until about well in fact they still are because this doesn't officially come in in September um, a significant number of uh, schools around the country that were teaching schools so a teaching school has the um, is funded and has the ability to then host professional development opportunities, uh, run things like NPQs, right. um, build its own, what we call, uh, so an NPQ is a national professional qualification. Um, and then uh, they can run such things as SLEs, so specialist leader in education and, and um, NLE, a national leader in education. Um, and they were a, a sort of focal hub for a, a teaching community ostensibly. They're being replaced by larger scale teaching school hubs. Right. Um, about 80, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, I should do really. Um, uh, around the country that deal with a much wider network of schools who are all under the umbrella of, of this particular teaching school hub. So our one here, we're in Peterborough. Um, so I'm based at a, a college called Arthur Mellows Village College at the moment. That's where I'm talking to you from. Right. Um, on the outskirts of Peterborough, but our teaching school hub lead is Histon and Impington, which is down Cambridge Way. Right. Um, so, so you've got a, a, a structure in um in England that is specifically focused not just on sharing um, you know practice and teaching that's going on in schools and how to um, to sort of uh, make sure that certain issues are explored but you've also got a structure specifically designed to translate educational research into practice in the school and I know that we've got we've got something that's kind of beginning to get that. I mean, we've got pioneer schools for the new curriculum and we've got the consortia obviously do a lot of work with schools and they look at um, developing understanding of research. But I think in Wales, we've got much more focus on actually carrying out research in schools. So teacher-led inquiry. Mm -hmm. And I remember as well, we've only got much smaller proportion of schools than you've got in England what we're talking about 1500 yeah. schools in the whole of Wales which is you yeah. know very small compared to, to what you've got in in England as well something that we've been thinking about recently and I, I'm sure our listeners will have seen uh, it happening on Twitter over the weekend uh, is the the latest Guy Claxton book uh, called The Future of Teaching and the Myths That Hold It Back. I, I'm halfway through reading it and it has certainly been an interesting read. There is a lot in there that is uh, well worth having a look at and well worth thinking about, but there's also a lot in there that is um, 
antagonistic and a little bit adversarial and there are people are named and I wouldn't say shamed but you know we're, we're kind of getting in that territory and just going back to one of the first things that you said was about Twitter and um, getting information about CPD on Twitter and I think Twitter is such an amazing resource of CPD but it can also be quite a difficult place to have really good conversations can't it? Yeah, I, th I think um, I mean I'm 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 a relatively recent tweeter, I suppose, um, and like all social media platforms, which is ostensibly what it is, mm. um, you know, you 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 make your bed and you lie in it, don't you? And I think um, Twitter uh, has been at times, and I think will continue to be a, a great source of material, but it can be both your your sort of silver bullet and your Achilles heel as a teacher, yeah. can't? Yeah, we um, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, uh, I mean, some of it is quite vitriolic, let's be honest. I think yeah. we were having um, this conversation this morning that we find sometimes it's very black and white. Yeah, it, it, it's very it can be very divisive. And I think we, we were saying as well, it's it's very much that if you had all of those people in a room together face to face, mm. would they feel comfortable saying maybe what they've said on Twitter? No, 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 of course not. And I, I think but I mean, the beauty of it is that there's it opens up many a wonderful rabbit hole and it creates it many a wonderful link. And you all of a sudden you find yourself drawn to a particular research paper or a particular idea that someone has shared. And it's fantastic. And uh, there are some really good forums. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I you know contribute every now and then to um, Ed CPD chat. I think it's called on a Wednesday yeah. night. Nice and, and, and things like that. But then also, as, as you know, with any non-face-to-face platform there are going to be people who feel more confident saying things behind the shroud of a, a computer id than they do face-to-face uh, -face. and for me the one thing i've really relished recently um uh, is actually having our trainees back face-to-face -to, -face to talk to them about teaching yeah. as opposed to sort of delivering to them via an online medium which we had to do um from the start of christmas right through to uh pretty much Easter we were delivering all of our teacher training online and I'm sorry but you can't replicate classroom practice in an online no. environment in the same um, way that you can't have a formative discussion about about pedagogy um in a in a, in a remote world context is so important and, and the nuance of of application yes. can only be properly practiced in the classroom can't it so and I think that's that's the thing that is missing on Twitter and is so important when you're thinking about translating research into what you do in the classroom is the nuance is that you know that I and I can't remember who oh it was Jerry Cooney Horvath um, talking about medical um, trials and how we, we need to be thinking about what happens in medical trials and replicating that um, that process and understanding in uh, education because the, the point of medical trials is that uh, the clinical trials are done in a petri dish and then you have the in-person trials, which actually take the complexity of the human body into consideration. And that's absolutely the job of work for people like you, people like us, is to, to actually help practitioners to understand not just the research paper, but what's it going to mean to you in your classroom? And that might be quite different for five different people, mightn't it? Oh, hugely so. And I think... A, a, a book title just came to mind, The Epidemiology of Pedagogy. I wonder if we could write that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, do you know, I, I heard something the other day, I can't remember uh, what it was, but it was something like that. It was something like, um, it was something like the epidemiology of, uh, it, it was about, um, oh, that was it. It was about uh, obstetrics, obstetrics right. of, um, and actually the, the metaphor didn't really stand up to 
um, to scrutiny, to be honest. But <laughs> but you're absolutely right. I mean, I, that must be something that you do quite a lot when you're talking to um, student teachers, is getting them to see how foundational principles that we find in research actually translate into the classroom. Yes, uh, I think the the important thing, and and um, I'm sure you know you guys are with me on this one, is that the word after evidence should always be informed and not led. Yeah, um, yeah. because uh, with with all evidence, yes, there's an evidence base, but on top of that evidence was also the context in which that evidence was gathered, um, the scope in which the trial was conducted, um, you know, the size. I think a lot of people at the moment there seems to be. Perhaps, you know, you, you have your traditionalists and your modernists in the world of education and, and people who are, you know, all of it, you know, someone like John Hattie or uh, yeah. Helen Lee, these sort of names that crop up, you know, they, they, their work has been around for a long, long time. People seem to think, you know, there's, there's people out there, quite rightly so, who have never read Rosenshine's Principles of Instruction. That's not a problem. It doesn't no. make them a bad teacher or a bad person. Mm -hmm what they're probably doing is applying a lot of what Rosenshine gathered together into his succinct 10 principles over the course of 30 years and I, I think you see a lot of people do things in classrooms perhaps without knowing that they're doing it or knowing that's what it's called. I um, think that just you just brought something to mind sorry Jake can I come back that something that really made me um, think about that is that when you look at uh, how Rosenshine actually uh, distilled his principles. One of the three elements of the research that he looked at was these um, high value added teachers, those who made the biggest difference. And I think that there's this idea that research is searching for answers to problems that we don't already know. And actually what a lot of research does is it, it recognises that there is a problem or yeah. that there is something that's going on. And then it looks at it in a little bit more detail. It's not a sort of um, a magic wand that is separate from practice it's actually far more closely related to practice than I think we realize yeah agreed entirely I think the key thing is really that if you're going to be an evidence-informed practitioner you have to acknowledge that there are you know the evidence was gathered in a certain way and if you you remain faithful to its original process and the original implementation then you might get results that don't suit what you were looking for in the first place so you have to be contextual you have to understand why you're doing what you're doing that's the core of it is why are you doing it you know if you have a you don't just willy-nilly sort of the magpie approach of best practice i think it was it was probably yeah. william dylan williams said everything over the years hasn't he but i think it was probably <laughs> that, that talks about how you shouldn't use the word best practice yeah. because it implies that you pick something up and and just it happens you know you're like a magpie you take all those shiny silver things yeah. and then you think that they're just going to replicate themselves exactly and perfectly in your classroom and of course they're not um you have to i think part of being evidence informed is being savvy and being a little bit cerebral about things um yeah. is that wonderful i think it was a book wasn't it called one size fits few yeah. uh, and just it, it, that that has to yeah. be a, a teaching approach i mean a lot of what i'm at the moment I, i've really fallen back into the world of graham nuttall right um, yeah, Nuttall's work around uh, you know cultural myths and realities of teaching and learning is a paper that I've actually got sitting on my desk at the moment and we have to be very very conscious of the reason why we're doing something and the context in which we're doing it if and and what ultimately success is going to look like that's it is, that's the heart of it is what I, does I, look like? I honestly think as well as us teachers that are a little bit longer in the tooth you can go back over your teaching career and you can see the fads yeah. as they were 
come and go. And, and there was there was nothing back in the 90s and early 2000s to say, well, this will work in this context. It's the, it was the latest shiny new thing, as you would say. Yeah. And as a school, you would take it on and you would implement it. You know, I'm thinking brain gym and, and oh. learning styles and all and all of that. That yeah. that came and that and that went. Yeah. And I think teaching has become this research informed profession in quite a quite a slow way over the last couple of years. And all of a sudden, we're now beginning to realise, ah, I used to do this and this worked because mm. but we're also thinking oh well, I used to do that I was a bit dodgy and I think maybe uh, you know I shouldn't I, I have think, done that. I just wanted to go back to something that you you were um, mentioning about research and making sure that that you're getting you as a senior leader or uh, as a teacher in your school you're getting out of the research what you actually need yes. and I think it's going back to um, a really clear strategic process within your school of identifying what the problem is and then thinking about what is it that you're going to do about it so so using research as a, a kind of um a library of options as opposed to uh well this is the, the well, shiny it's not starting with the research it's yeah. starting with the need isn't it and then looking to the research yeah to help yeah, where you going and i think schools have very much gone at it from the other way yeah to start with okay that's a really good bit of research how can we implement it in school but yeah. That, that might not be what the people's need. I think um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, I think, again, all experience is an arch, isn't it, where through gleams and untraveled worlds, to potentially quote Tennyson. Um, it's, <laughs> well, I forget that. There will be issues when we begin to implement things because, um, you know, we have to sort of, when, implementation is a slow process. Mm. It takes numerous stakeholders and various different forms and, and, and development opportunities. And you can't just change for the sake of change. People look on it as, you know, I, I can age myself slightly by saying, you know, I was at secondary school in the 90s um, and I remember overhead projectors. Yes. Now everyone raves about visualizers. Well, I'm sorry, a visualizer is just an overhead projector with a computer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, it's just a nice way of everybody seeing the handwritten model you're doing and that's yeah. that's effective teaching it was effective teaching in the 90s it was effective teaching in the 60s it's effective teaching now it'll be effective teaching in the future so i think one of the dangers i i find is that the, a magpied approach to research aligns it with a particular i don't know a particular time in our lives so yeah. all of a sudden it's the 2010s, it's research time. Yeah. And, and everyone associates the research alongside the technology. So all of a sudden, you know, the visualizer is this holy grail when no, I'm sorry, people have written good quality models for years. Um, yeah. And so it is all just about understanding core effective teaching practice, which can only be properly tested in a classroom environment. And again, can only be properly tested contextually. So yeah. we can't say that, um, you know, this, as you, as you mentioned, you know, the, the Guy Claxton fanfare, um, and the, the, the name, the roll call, the, the, the checklist, yeah. whatever it is, um, uh, citing certain people, those people just happen to be the, the, the public face of a lot of private work, I suppose. There's yeah. research going on in schools all over the place. And, and people... I think it's, it's really important when you think about the, the process of taking research and taking um, a particular research paper or a particular body of work and thinking about how am I going to put that into practice in my classroom? 
it, it is about what your classroom is like, what your classroom needs, what the pupils needs are, and then things still go wrong. And I, I was just thinking back to, we had a conversation with a, a school in, uh, in London that we're working with, um, and they're a, a requires improvement school, primary school, and they have a lot of new staff. They've got um, a very, very high uh, number of pupil, pupil premium pupils, high EAL, um, pupil premium obviously is our equivalent of EFSM. Um, but they were, we, we'd done quite a few sessions with them. I can't remember when we started working with them. I think it was probably before Christmas, mm -hmm. wasn't it? So we, it, we've been working with them for a number of months, but because they, they have got COVID and other concerns going on in school, it's going to take them that much longer to actually start to really embed um, the processes and systems, but the teaching practice that they've taken on board from the research. And I think that process is quite long. I mean, certainly ITE students, they're not going to crack it having sat down, you know, with the best will in the world, Henry. I'm sure your, your discussions with them are very uh, useful and interesting, but they're not <laughs> going to get it in the first session, are they? And I think it takes quite a, a long time for that, to, for practice to change. Yeah. Uh, entirely. And I, I think the the core thing for me from an initial teacher education perspective is that actually I am take, uh, you know, me and my, my, my wonderful colleagues, we are working with novices. And unless we have um, a sort of an understanding of the, the development from novice through to expertise and, and how people take on information, and uh, if we don't understand that, and if we don't take our time and hard work to work on that and, and know that, then we can't properly teach our teachers to know that either. And I think there's a lot of um, planning that has to go into the curriculum that one delivers to initial teacher uh, trainees um, because they are being inducted into something that takes years to get right. I mean, you and I, you know, we, we know that I've been teaching 15 years this year, I think is my, it's about my 15th year of teaching this year. And I'm still dropping, you know, clangers in classrooms, left, right and centre. Yeah, I think we all are. But it's, uh, and I think that the, it's, it's, that's what yeah. happened. <laughs> and I think the the idea that there are novices and the idea that there are experts, it's not two discrete groups. It's a continuum and that you may well be a novice. I mean, when I did my PGC, I'd actually already been teaching for a year and a half as a, a foreign language teacher. So I I had some experience, but my experience, I was still very much a novice in certain areas of the, the curriculum. So it's understanding that it is always a continuum. Well, 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 I think as well, COVID has really highlighted the fact that even though you might be on that continuum towards the expert as a teacher, COVID has really pulled the rug out from some people's you know feet how many really experienced teachers have we got in the classroom all of a sudden having to teach online and you feel like you're back to being in ITE again it, it, it's very difficult I know um I um, I've written about this recently in a sort of teacher development perspective I know you you are, are both uh, hugely knowledgeable about the Matthew effect um and in literature uh, you know in literacy yeah. Uh, the idea, you know, the Matthew effect, the rich get rich and the poor get poorer. I think that there's a danger of that happening in teaching. Yeah. Um, I, what actually happened in uh, during school closures, um, you know, a lot of experienced teachers who perhaps were, were at a point where they were struggling with their classroom practice, mm. all of a sudden then have that opportunity to practice taken away from them. And so yeah. actually they're just going to get worse. Whereas those who are already, you know, effective teachers, let's say, adapted very quickly to the new media and, and, and continued to make that progression. And there's a lot of focus at the moment around, um, you know, uh, there's a really interesting paper. I'm very, very lucky. Um, I'll name drop a chap called Mike Hobbis, 
Um, so he delivered the session for our trainees. It was really nice to be able to call on him, but he's done some work recently around um, stagnation and habit formation in teaching and how actually teachers get to a point where that development plateaus and, yeah. and, and, and we stagnate and habits begin to form and we need to arrest the formation of negative habits. Um, Berliner talks about expertise taking, you know, five to seven years before you're even competent at anything, you know, as a teacher. And that's something that I'm trying to instill in, in initial teacher education. All of us who enter it and those that support it, the mentors, the professional tutors, all those involved in partner schools, that we're always getting better. We're always improving. We're not a finished article at any point. And after one year of teaching, we might have qualified teacher status, but we've still only got one year of teaching. Absolutely. And, and there will always be opportunities when you look back over your teaching career and when you move a school. It's like not just stepping backwards, but it feels kind of worse almost because you've had you know what it's like when when things are working OK or when you step up to a new role or when you start even just a new September working with new classes. It can feel like you step back in time because you've got a different set of expectations sitting in front of you that that yeah. need to be addressed. Is there a piece of advice that you think? would be useful for teachers if, if teachers wanted to start thinking more in a more focused way about using research informed uh, practices in their classroom what, what piece of advice do you, would be good to give them my main piece of advice having gone about it uh, it's sort of been through a, a developmental approach myself with this and a mm -hmm. formative approach i was when i first started thinking about using evidence to inform my practice I went and gathered absolutely every single bit of evidence under the sun and, <laughs> that's, that's and, a lot. you know and then I think well hang on I, I don't even know where I'm starting here um I, I, I draw an analogy with my my trainees and my I remember often being in the car with my dad back in the days before sat nav yeah. and you, or someone would ask directions ask him directions to somewhere and he would say oh well I wouldn't start from here <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, actually thinking about it, it it's sort of knowing where you, if you're going to move into the world of using evidence to inform your practice know where you are yeah and know where you want to get to and keep it tight so instead of thinking right well all of a sudden i'm going to transform myself as a pedagogue and i'm going to use this that and the other mm. identify the reason why yeah so, hey, what what do i need to improve what what's the problem here yeah. What problem I need to solve? Who has done something like this before? What did they do? Mm. And that's where to start. Start with the solution. Start with what, what it is that you want solving. Don't just go and grab every poster under the sun and don't, don't all of a sudden think that Rosenshine's principles are a checklist for a lesson yeah. um, and you do all 10 every day um, yeah. and all this, that and the other. There are some really great syntheses out there. I think um, the, uh, the, what's it called? The Great Teaching Toolkit. Yes, um, it's excellent. Yeah, based education piece. Uh, the EF, the Education Endowment Foundation, are excellent again as a, a source of initial material. But you have to take it slowly. And, and I think this is this is the kind of the really interesting thing about um, professional learning recently. I mean, Jane and I were talking about uh, how we view ourselves because there's there's often a quite a negative uh, connotation with the word consultant. And actually, we wouldn't consider ourselves consultant. We would consider ourselves teachers of teachers. Yep. Um, because we actually teach teachers and we use things like retrieval practice and cognitive load theory and all of the research behind how learning actually works and inquiry learning when it's appropriate. Yep. So um, it's remembering that 
whenever you're doing something new, whenever you're learning something new, you are learning. And therefore, your learning process replicates the same learning process that you might see in a classroom for the children. Exactly right. And that's the focus that I take with our trainees is that I, I will teach them material, but I will make sure that I regularly revisit it to check that they've understood it. Yeah. Um, we will practice it. We will go mm. over it, you know, and I, I use in, in designing a, a lesson, let's say, for teach for trainee teachers. I use exactly the same principles that yeah. I would use in designing a lesson for my year nines. I'm teaching year nine this afternoon. You know, they will have a, a lesson built on the same principles that I will use with my trainees on Friday. And I think the, the core thing is, um, I think we're sort of starting to allude to, aren't we, that everything it's it's professional development in teaching, I think, has to be domain specific. Um, it, it can't just be this blanket approach. You have to acknowledge that, you know, we're, we're talking to each other, um, you know, sort of face to face, but we're 200 miles apart. Yeah. You know, um, as we said, oh, I'm rubbish at geography, you can tell. Um, <laughs> but as, you, uh, as you said right at the start, you say we've had to, you've had to contextualise for your Welsh listeners, Bori Da, mm. to your Welsh listeners, by the way, my father-in-law's Welsh. Oh. Um, you have to, you've had to contextualise the, the acronym SKIT. Yeah. Whereas I use that all the time and assume that everybody knows what it means. And one of the, so I've made an, an, an assumption there, which you must never do. You must never assume existing knowledge in anybody. You must yeah. check there actually before you try and build anything onto it. Absolutely. Um, and that's, that's relevant for your own professional learning as well. And I think that if teachers are thinking about how do you use research in the classroom? It's, it's the same way as you would do if you were going next door and saying, look, I've got this problem to the teacher next door. What do you do with Johnny? It's that same process is I have a problem. I need an answer. So let's be really specific about how you interrogate the research out there. And I think that the research inquiry process is kind of is something additional to that, that uh, problem solving uh, approach to research. Is there anything else that we want to teach? Just more of it, you know, just going back to Greg's book and all the other, you know, the couple of the other podcasts that we've done over the last couple of months is about this idea that something works, it will all work somewhere at some point. So it's deciding where it is and it's not being on one side or the other. Yeah. It's about being able to choose what works and when it works. So having the right tools for the, for the right job, really, isn't it? yeah and that autonomy i think is really important isn't it i think there's a wonderful there's a couple there's a robin alexander uh quote that i i often use with trainees um and they, they get fed up of me referencing all left right and center but um it's and how the sort of you need three things as a teacher you need a sort of an evidence base a pedagogical principle and an actual aim and yes. if you've got those three things then yeah. you can start on your your sort of quest to autonomy and i've horribly paraphrased alexander there and i'm sorry um, but um it, it's that idea that we, we set up our trainees for example we have to assess them and a lot of that's in we we watch them teach yeah. but what i see when i watch someone teach is different from what my colleague will see when i and so on and so that there's that nuance as well but we ask them to complete assignments that are really the same title every time how does this strategy impact yeah on these outcomes for these pupils, dum, dum, dum. And, and that's ultimately what it is, isn't it? We it want is, and I think that in, in Wales particularly at the moment, that's something that's really important to teachers here because obviously we're designing the new curriculum for curriculum for Wales because we just have a framework. So it's about um, making sure that what you're doing in the classroom addresses the framework, but also addresses pupils' needs. And I think 
we're, we are running out of time, Henry. So it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you this morning and such a fascinating view of research and how research works in schools and in uh, classrooms. And I'm sure that um, teachers across the nation are going to be focusing in on research even more so in the future. I think so. I think so. And I think, as I say, keep it, keep it focused. Know what you want to solve before you go out and try and find all the answers. I think that's the key. Great. Thank you very much, Henry, for being on our podcast. And hopefully we will talk to you again soon. An absolute pleasure. Thanks ever so much, guys. Okay. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure you don't miss future episodes. You can find us online at www.impact.wales. You can also follow us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Impact Wales. On Facebook and Instagram, search for Impact Wales. And on LinkedIn, search for Impact School Improvement.